And welcome on in. It is Ryan Hickey here giving you my biggest takeaways from all four divisional round matchups. Appreciate you watching. Appreciate you listening. If you're listening right now on the podcast, make sure you check out the video form on YouTube. Search a channel named Ryan Hickey. That's where a lot of video content will be posted. And if you're watching, appreciate you. Thank you for uh, for joining us right here. Make sure you also do check out the podcast, Hick at Night. Night spelled N-I-T-E, wherever, available, I should say, wherever you do get your pods. So let's start with the game. Sunday night, we are recording this. Let's start with the game that was the most anticipated, at least by me and many, and the game that just concluded a few minutes ago. Chiefs 27, Bills 24, Mahomes, Allen 3.0, lived up to the billing. I want to start and look at this game first from the Bills' perspective. I think for me, that that's that's more the story here. When the clock hit zeros and it came out, the Chiefs again now for the third time in the postseason had beaten the Bills. This to me felt like the Bills Super Bowl window is closed. Because if you can't beat the Chiefs in the playoffs, how you you can't be considered a Super Bowl contender. If you're going to meet and have your season end every single year in the hands of the Chiefs, how can you seriously sit here and say Buffalo is a real Super Bowl contender? This was their shot. Sunday was their chance to be proven right that they are Super Bowl contenders, and this is going to be a fun Allen Mahomes rivalry for the next decade. They couldn't prove it. They are not Super Bowl contenders going forward. They, to me, are now, with this loss, the AFC version of the Dallas Cowboys. A really good regular season team. They give you reasons to buy in that this is finally the year they're going to break through, go to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl. But just like Dallas, every single year with Dak, the Bills find a way to disappoint and end their season earlier than they should. They're postseason frauds. That's exactly what they are. I can't sit here and call the Cowboys frauds in the postseason, but not say the Bills are in a different class than them. They are one in the same. Cowboys, Bills, NFC, AFC versions of each other. Great regular season teams frauds in the postseason you look at this game going into it everything favored buffalo and this was supposed to be the time and you hear a lot of peyton manning tom brady comparisons to the mahomes allen rivalry here's why this is nowhere close peyton actually beat tom brady and yes tom got the first two when they were in new england but what happened peyton got him at home in 2006 and the colts finally slayed goliath at home to go to the Super Bowl and eventually win Peyton's only Super Bowl in India, at least. That was finally Peyton got him at home, and they were able to beat the Pats. This was supposed to be the equivalent for Josh Allen and the Bills. Look at everything they had going in their favor heading to this matchup on Sunday evening. They were at home. Again, we've heard a lot. Patrick Mahomes, first road playoff game. How is he going to react? Oh, my God, the most overblown story Ever. The guy's been in the league since 2018. You think a road playoff environment, even though he's never technically been in one before tonight, is going to impact him? You watch the game, it didn't. But that was a storyline nonetheless. So the Bills, after going to Arrowhead the first two times in the postseason, finally got Mahomes on their home turf. Bills Mafia showed out. It was very loud to their credit. You had the Bills coming in winners of six in a row. They're red hot and playing their best football of the season. And most importantly, This was the worst version of the Patrick Mahomes Chiefs offense we have ever seen from Kansas City and probably going forward will ever see 
for the next 10 years. This offense this year was problematic, right? The receivers couldn't catch passes. Mahomes himself was struggling a little bit. Travis Kelsey was nowhere near as impactful as he's been. The run game was a little bit of a hit or miss at times. This was the Chiefs averaging 21.8 points per game, 15th in the league in the regular season. There is, there's not going to be another time the Bills are going to face the Chiefs where their offense is this poor. So you add that all up. The worst Chiefs offense they've had to date in the Patrick Mahomes era, the Bills winning six in a row, and Buffalo being at home, it all added up to Buffalo finally slaying Goliath and, and getting over the Chiefs hump. But the reason, even though everything screamed Buffalo winning, the reason why I picked Kansas City to win this game was the fact that it's Mahomes and the Chiefs find ways to win. They have that championship medal where the Bills consistently never know how to put teams away and never know how to finish teams off. They struggle late in the game and making those winning plays, those small plays that determine your season continuing or going home. And we saw that play out again on Sunday night. Everything was in Buffalo's favor, and they still were unable to get over the hump. If they couldn't win Sunday night, again, I ask you, when are they? When are they going to beat the Chiefs if they couldn't do it on Sunday? Everything was going in your favor. And that's why to go back to where we start here, this game is so important for the Bills. And now going forward, you can't call them Super Bowl contenders. You got to beat the Chiefs to even have a chance right now at thinking about the Lombardi. And that the Chiefs have their number big time. Big time. And if you're Buffalo, this feels like a loss where changes have to be made. Right, they've come close before. They have nearly knocked off Kansas City on multiple occasions. This, this is now like, a, oh, we're so close. This was number one because of what we just outlined. This was the worst Buffalo loss in the Josh Allen era. It's worse than the 13 second game. It's worse than the the tail whooping you received from the Bengals last year at home. This was the worst playoff loss of the Josh Allen era. And because of that, changes have to be made. Coaches and players. I mean, you look at from the player perspective, Stefan Diggs, man, I don't know what happened to him. When he got to Buffalo in 2020, he was one of the best receivers in the NFL. And he, this year, I can't even say disappear. That's using that, you know, word nicely. He has been a complete zero in the biggest game of the season. You could argue the biggest game of the Josh Allen era in Buffalo with Gabe Davis, your 1A receiver, out. You had Stephon Diggs finish this game three catches for 21 yards, including a massive drop that maybe could have won the game if he catches that in. It looks like he's going he's gonna to break the tackle and go to the end zone. Bare minimum, the, the Bills are deep in Kansas City territory on that fourth quarter bomb. He's been terrible. And I don't know how you can go, if you're Buffalo next year, go into the season with him as your number one wide receiver. I don't know if it's a, a mentality thing. I don't know if he was hurt and didn't tell anybody. I don't know if it's a carryover from last year. We saw him freak out on the Bills' sidelines, yelling at Josh Allen. Then at minicamp this year, him and Sean McDermott get into it. I don't know if there's a carryover. Whatever it is, Safan Diggs took a massive step back and really got replaced by Khalil Shakir as the number one option in this offense. 
So if you're Buffalo, you got to look long and hard of, well, we don't have a number one wide receiver going into 2024. You got to look at the coaching staff as well, where Sean McDermott, especially his defense, continues to come up small in the postseason, where for a defensive-minded coach, have you ever looked at that Buffalo defense and says, oh, yeah, that, that's lockdown defense? No. And again, in the playoffs, they continuously come up short. I don't want to hear about injuries. Everyone deals with injuries, and this is not just a one-time thing where all the defense got exposed, they are banged up. Every single year, this Buffalo defense gets torched. At what point, if you're Brandon Bean, do you say, I got to get someone else in here, an offensive mind, number one, to get some consistency for Josh Allen in terms of who's calling the plays for him. But number two, because this defense stinks. This defense in the, in the postseason stinks. And again, we talked about this Chiefs offense being the worst of the Mahomes era. They managed to score, and it felt like they were going up and down the field every single drive. They forced one punt, and the only other time they got a stop, barring the halftime and end of the game kneel downs, was an awful fumble by Mikkel Hardman that if you just have your normal goal line rules of tucking the ball instead of extending it, Chiefs probably scored that uh, score on that drive, and the game's not even as close as the final score of 27-24 indicates. So a little bit of luck to get the fumble out of bounds. One punt, and every other time the Chiefs got the ball up and down the field, they scored. For the worst defense, or the worst, excuse me, offense Kansas City has had in the Mahomes era. Uh, this Again, if you're Buffalo, changes have to be made. Trades have to be made. Coaching, I think, has to be changed as well. At this point, I don't know if you're what you can do. You, you can't sit there and say, we're so close. The Bills get a lot of credit for losing, and they've not changed a lot of their core and a lot of the coaches because, oh, we're so close. We, we lose close in the playoffs. That's a definition of insanity at this point. It is the definition of insanity to run it back next year and think next year is going to be the year. I mean, I, you look at the Cowboys bringing Mike McCarthy back. That, to me, feels just like an awful decision because he does not help you out in the postseason. The Bills bringing Sean McDermott back, to me, it would be the equivalent. Bad decision. Got to be active. Try to get some playmakers on that offense. Because also part of the reason why this game was decided in Kansas City's favor was because you look at the, the Chiefs, they are more than Mahomes. They are more than Patrick Mahomes, which is scary. Personally, it feels almost unfair to say that. But Kansas City deserves so much credit for how they built their team because this year, especially with the offense and the receivers not performing very well, they have been carried by their defense. And they've been bailed out by their run game. Two things Buffalo can't say. Josh Allen, I thought, was tremendous for most of the game. Got lucky on in terms of putting the ball on the ground wasn't recovered. Got lucky that a, a interception, you know, was, was more dropped and that could have been a game changing play. Got hit a few times when receivers were open, but I mean, there's little. Maybe Allen could have done more, but for the most part, he did his part. And again, we're talking about a Buffalo team that is insanely reliant on their quarterback because the run game is not consistent and the defense can't get stops. And that was again shown on full display Sunday night. The, the stats are deceiving when it comes to running the ball. The Bills thrashed 
The Chiefs for three quarters. Here's the problem, though. In a close game in the fourth quarter, the Bills' offense clammed up, and that Chiefs' defense made adjustments and continued to play at a championship level. After the Bills scored a touchdown, they go up 24-20. About three minutes left in the third quarter. The final 18 minutes of the game in a one-possession game the entire way. After running up and down the Chiefs offense, uh, running up and down, excuse me, the Chiefs defense for two and a half quarters, Buffalo finished the game with 11 rushing yards on seven carries, the final 18 minutes of the game. So, and you can look, by the way, zero points scored in the fourth quarter. Why, why, well, why was that? Because all of a sudden they became one dimensional because the thing that was working for three quarters was figured out. The run game that was electric and unstoppable with Josh Allen, with James Cook, with Ty Johnson, of all people, contributing as well. All three of those guys had a field day. Fourth quarter, credit to Steve Spagnuolo, credit to that Chiefs defense for buckling down, tightening up, and all of a sudden now again, 11 rushing yards on seven carries. you, You are not winning a playoff game in the fourth quarter when that is the effort you get on the offensive side of the ball. Chiefs defense deserves a lot of credit, but you see in this game, partly partly the reason why the Chiefs won was because Mahomes was solid, but that run game made that offense insanely balanced. And again, at the end of the game, they relied on that run game to win it for them. Isaiah Pacheco was great. Chiefs as a team finished with 6.1 yards per carry and didn't give the chance uh, chance for the Bills once the field goal was missed to get the ball back. Ran right down their throat, two plays, game over, good night. Run game, defense. The Chiefs in 2023 are more than just Patrick Mahomes. And you saw that uh, in Orchard Park on Sunday night, and that is why the Chiefs are going to the AFC title game, despite their problems and despite them being the least potent Chiefs team we've seen since Mahomes became the starter. But the exact blueprint of why Kansas City won is the exact blueprint of why each and every year Buffalo falls short in the playoffs. They never get reliable help outside of Josh Allen. And Josh Allen was solid. He was very solid in this game. But he was not Superman. And the teams that don't need their quarterback to be Superman are the ones that go deep in the playoffs. So this was not on Tyler Bass with the missed field goal that was... I mean, not close, obviously, but this game was lost before even the missed field goal. There was a lot of time left on that clock, and you look at how that Buffalo defense played. You cannot sit here with a straight face and tell me that Mahomes get the ball with, I think it was like 137 to be exact, somewhere in that range, 90 seconds, let's just say. If he gets the ball back when 90 seconds in a tie game, you're really telling me Patrick Mahomes is not going to get this Chiefs team in field goal range, and Harrison Bucker is not going to make a clutch kick in the playoffs? I I don't believe you. I don't believe you. So the the game was not lost on a missed field goal. To me, the game was lost before that because the entire fourth quarter, the Bills' offense stalled because they became one-dimensional. And even before that, too, they've had plenty of other missed opportunities, whether it's Stephon Diggs, whether it's uh, Sherfield dropping a ball that was pretty close to being a game-changing play. The Bills never made that one play they had to make in order to win this game. If you're a Bills fan, I'm sorry. I I really am sorry. It feels like you're cursed. I don't know if I I don't know if you, you a soul was sold. 
I don't know if the, the city of Buffalo is built on an Indian burial ground. I have no idea why it feels like the city of Buffalo is cursed and that curse only strengthens and gets, you know, deeper with the wide right miss two words, very famous in that city. Gut wrenching, absolutely gut wrenching. But this is by far, I think because of everything going in your favor, the worst loss of the Josh Allen era in the playoffs and going forward. To me, the Bills are now the AFC equivalent of the Dallas Cowboys. Total playoff frauds that do not deserve to be believed in until they actually do it. Until they actually make the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. I, I You can't believe in Buffalo. You cannot. It's a definition at this point of insanity. All right. Let's go from that game to Saturday night. 49ers 24, Packers 21. I feel even stronger about the 49ers' chances of winning the Super Bowl coming out of this game than I did even going in. And that was someone who picked the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. I mean, that's not a hot take. A lot of people have now been on San Francisco for really since about even, you know, the halfway point of the season when they start to separate themselves from everybody else. But this game makes me feel even better about the 49ers going forward. Here's why. Championship teams, they always find a way to win games when they don't have their A game, right? It's easy when everything is clicking to win a game, when your offense is playing great, your defense is playing great, turnovers go your way, like luck is in your favor. When things go your way, it is easy to win. But true championship teams Find ways to win when they have their B, their C, hell, maybe even their D games sometimes. And the 49ers, you look at how they played overall. I mean, I would assess it right now is like C+. They played their C-plus game on Saturday night against the Packers. But think about that. They played C-plus in the postseason and one with their quarterback playing awful. That to me is impressive because I don't see that performance replicating itself again, either in the NFC title game against the Lions or in the Super Bowl. This to me was the worst playoff game the 49ers are going to play this year, and they still found a way to win. I mean, you look at Brock Purdy, right? He's going to be the biggest talking point. He was awful. He was god awful. So many easy misses. So many inaccurate throws, so many close calls. I, I don't know what was going on with him. I don't know if the two-week break got to him. I don't know if he just was sick, seeing, you know, forgot to put his contacts in. Maybe that, that happened. He wasn't seeing the defense right. Whatever it was, he just was terrible. But with that said, with that said, what he did on the final drive of the game was Tom Brady like. He was playing awful. For three and a half quarters, the Packers opened up a window when they miss the field goal. Five minutes left, game on the line, season on the line. What does Brock Purdy do? Despite all his misses, goes six of seven on the final drive. The one incompletion, by the way, was a George Kittle drop wide open and just inexplicably dropped the football. Otherwise, it was a perfect drive from Purdy. Had a big-time rush that eventually set up the next play, the Christian McCaffrey rushing touchdown. When the 49ers needed a drive, Brock Purdy locked in, dialed in, and delivered. Right down the field, some big uh, third-down throws, some tough throws in tight windows, 
for how bad he was for three and a half quarters, the opposite of that, that's how good he was on that final drive to win. That is Tom Brady-like. What we saw on Saturday night was Tom Brady-like from, from Brock Purdy. Really, really, really bad. But when you need to drive the most, when the game is on the line, there's never a doubt about Tom coming through. See, again, as a Colts fan, I've seen it too many times. Brady ripped my team's hearts out, rip your team's heart out as well. He, he did it to everybody. But this was a guy that when you needed it, that got to have a drive, he found a way to do it each and every time. And Brock Purdy, I know he's not had a lot of examples or, or a lot of chances, I should say, in his young career, but that's exactly what Brady would do. Game on the line. We need a play here. We need a touchdown. I'm leading you down the field. Was tremendously accurate. Was very decisive. Again, made some big-time throws on third down. He was awesome. I got a lot of pushback on that Tom Brady comparison on social media, and I don't, I don't get why. That's exactly what Tom would do. And we are seeing it from Brock Purdy. Look, the Brock Purdy disrespect, again, if you are a hater, you could parade around and, and champion the first three and a half quarters of oh, Brock Purdy sucks, get a new quarterback in 2024. Should we see Sam Darnold start next week? You could parade that around. I'll just point to the, the final drive of the game. When you got to have it, he came through and expect that next week he's going to be a lot better. I don't see how if you're a, a Brock hater, doubter, that you could look at that game and say, yeah, he sucks, he's done. He was bad. But I think it's even more impressive when you've been that bad for that long of a game that you can mentally forget it, lock in, and deliver when your team needs you the most. That's what Tom Brady does. And that's what Brock Purdy did on Saturday night. And so now you look at the 49ers. Again, with Detroit coming to town, there is, to me, no way, offensively, defensively, they're going to play as poorly next week as they did on Saturday night, Purdy will be better. That that uh, Lions secondary, boy, oh boy, we'll get to that game here in a second. They are poised to get picked apart. They have won in spite of their defense right now the first two weeks um, or the first two playoff games. And that Niners offense, man, they, I think, are going to take that Detroit defense to the woodshed. They are going to make, I think, Detroit pay for that poor defense they've had so far throughout the, play uh, throughout the playoffs. So I think defensively, San Francisco will tighten up. We should, I mean, still early again, recording this on Sunday night. So there's been no official word yet about Debo Samuel's status. I'll just say, just as an opinion, I'll be shocked if Debo does not play next week. Which also, again, by the way, makes what Brock Purdy did even more impressive. Your number one receiver is out for most of the game. You have guys like Conley coming in and making plays late. Guys that you normally are not relying on now all of a sudden are thrust into the big time moment with your season on the line and Brock still managed to, to find a way to get the drive done in order to keep the season alive for San Francisco. That is impressive. That should not be overlooked, I think, in my opinion. So I think the, the 49ers, we knew, we, had the, the, we knew they had the talent, right, to win a Super Bowl. It's obvious. But one question was, well, how does Kyle Shanahan, you know, how does he treat being down in the game? How does his team respond when they basically, you know, led and blown a lot of good teams out? How do they respond when things don't go their way? And can they show that championship medal? 
that it takes to, in the big moment, stay calm and just make a play when you need one. I think a lot of those questions were answered by the 49ers on Saturday night. Didn't panic, remained calm, and got the job done. Props to San Francisco. Again, I think they're going to the Super Bowl and winning it. I feel even stronger about that take now coming out of this game because of the adversity they faced and still found a way to win. By the way, on the other side, really fast to the Packers, I mean, you talk about the best possible outcome for this season. I, obviously, you want to win the Super Bowl. That's the best outcome. Fine. But realistically, I mean, no one even thought this Packers team was going to make the playoffs. With Jordan Love and a lot of young wide receivers and tight ends, all year one and year two guys, this was, to me, this is just like a, a prove it year of, can you at the end of the year say that you found the guy in Jordan Love? And if that answer is yes, I don't care what the record is, you could call that season a success for San Francisco, uh, for Green Bay. And I mean, getting to the playoffs, winning a playoff game, and Love playing well in San Francisco, minus the final throw of the game that was forced and unnecessary, you are feeling great right now if you're Green Bay with a young quarterback, a lot of young and cheap weapons at receiver and tight end, a run game that with Aaron Jones healthy is really freaking good, a solid offensive line. Look, defense definitely needs adjustments for sure. They played better in the, in the two playoff games compared to the regular season. But you have to feel really, really good right now if you're a Packers fan that your future is bright. And if you are the Bears, I mean, you have to be sick to your stomach that the Packers just keep on finding great quarterbacks and you cannot. Um, if you're the Vikings, you got to feel like, here we go again. We got another team we got to worry about for another 10, 15 years. Lions, that, that's not going to be an easy out. That could have been your division for the next five years easily. And the Packers at least make it seem like they're going to be challenging you each and every year. The future is very, very bright in Green Bay. And this was, I think, about as well as you possibly and realistically could have asked for. Not even realistically. I think it already exceeded expectations. Winning a playoff game and Jordan Love looking as good as he has on the two playoff games he's played in. This was a this was as good as it gets. As good as it gets for Packers fans. So it's still, I'm sure, frustrating. And if you're listening to this right now as a Packers fan on Sunday night, Monday morning, maybe even Tuesday or Wednesday, I get you're probably still frustrated. But when the sting of the loss wears off, this is going to be a season you're going to look back on and say, oh boy, we are good. Speaking of we are good, let's stay on Saturday, go to the first game of the divisional round, Ravens 34, Texans 10. What was really good was that Ravens defense. That's where I want to start. Baltimore's defense, I think, deserves credit first and foremost because they were able to keep the Ravens in the game while that offense, predictably, was very rusty early on in the first half. And for me, at least, I went to this game thinking the Texans were going to win. I picked Houston to win, and a big reason for that was I thought this was going to be 2019 all over again, where the Ravens had the bye locked up. Back in 2019, they rested their starters two weeks off, came back against Tennessee, was insanely rusty. Lamar couldn't get anything going. Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill carved him up. Well, really, Derrick Henry did. Ryan Tannehill didn't do much. And they trailed the entire game and got embarrassed at home. 14 and two to first, you know, one playoff game and done. And honestly, I, I was looking at this game thinking the same thing was going to happen. Two weeks off, 
offense is going to be rusty. And you look at C.J. Stroud coming on in with how well he's played and what was back-to-back playoff games, playoff atmospheres. Week 18, winning your in against the Colts. Last week against the Browns, Stroud looked comfortable, not flustered, five touchdowns, no interceptions. He was tremendous. And so I thought the rust was going to really work against Baltimore. Stroud would continue to play really good. And it'd be like a 23-17 game. Texans go in and do what the Titans did a few years ago and play spoiler to what was a great MVP year from Lamar and a great overall year by the Ravens. And the reason why that didn't happen, first and foremost, was because of that outstanding Baltimore defense. Zero offensive touchdowns allowed in the game. Didn't Even though they didn't register a sack, they weren't allowing Stroud to look comfortable. He was not comfortable back there whatsoever. Again, that's part of the reason why sacks are a little bit of a deceiving stat. Just because even though there's a zero there in the stat uh, in the sack column, he was constantly, that Stroud that is, on the run, never looked comfortable, always felt like he was kind of guessing, never knew, was it man or zone? Is this the right read, holding out to the ball a little bit too long? You saw that offensive line having the yips constantly jumping early, a ton of false starts as well that backed up the offense and, and you know really killed some momentum in their drives, allowed zero balance. Not that the Texans ran the ball well anyway, but didn't even allow the run game to be a possibility, allowing just 2.7 yards per carry. What was a very bad, and I think predictably bad, first half on the Ravens offense, the reason why 2019 did not happen again was because the Ravens' defense, unlike 2019, showed up, played really well, and made sure that bare minimum for how bad the Ravens played, it was a tie game at half. No hole to dig out of, no desperation sinking in. And then that's where the offense came alive. So first and foremost for me, I give the defense a lot of credit here. I think they won the game first, and then you saw in the second half, once the rust was knocked off, that offense came alive. Lamar deserves a lot of credit. I have my doubts. We didn't see it from Lamar in the playoffs. He's been a, a very poor playoff quarterback up until this point. And especially in the second half, he was outstanding. For the first time, we saw regular season Lamar transfer to postseason Lamar. Up until this year, it's been two different guys. Lamar running and being electric in the regular season. Uncome playoff time, looking skittish, uncertain, almost playing not to lose versus playing free and just kind of running around and making plays happen as they go. We finally saw regular season Lamar show up in the postseason. He was tremendous. Decisive in the pass game. Did an absolute job, at a great job at extending plays in the pocket. His legs are a big time factor. 100 yards, but it was also decisive too. When he was running, he dropped back and sat back a lot. Really gave his receivers time to um, get open. The offensive line, although there's a little bit of a rough patch there late in the first half where you're looking at him and that Texans defensive line is getting home. You're like, oh boy, this could uh, this could get ugly here in the second half. Uh, they did a really good job, the offensive line did for Baltimore, of giving Lamar time, creating a pocket, not having him you know be flushed out or having to deal with pressure. They did a really, really good job, not just at pass protection, but running the ball in the run game. Averaged 5.5 yards per carry. The Ravens did for the game. 229 yards as a team. They, If that run game continues and is able to carry over next week against the Chiefs, look, I, I have been someone who does not pick against Patrick Mahomes. 
I've been all in on, on the Chiefs. Um, again, for a while now, I know shocker. Um, but let me tell you, I would I have a tough time, at least right now, early on as we sit here Sunday night. I have a tough time picking the Chiefs, man. If we see that second half Ravens offense continue, continue next week. I don't see Kansas City keeping up um whatsoever because when the run game is working for Baltimore, the way it worked against Houston, and now all of a sudden Lamar's a big threat running. Justice Hill is a big threat running. And now all of a sudden that opens up the play action game uh, for Zay Flowers, for Rashad Bateman, uh, et cetera. This is going to be an uh, impossible task for the Chiefs to try to slow down uh, this outstanding Ravens offense. Really, really, really good to see from Baltimore. Number one, the, the rust had knocked off sooner, right? It took a half, but still allowed, you know, able to knock it off before it was too late. Defense did a great job keeping the Ravens in the game in the first half when their offense are struggling. And we finally saw in that second half, regular season Lamar Jackson transfer over to postseason Lamar Jackson. This is going to be a hell, hell of a game. Ravens Chiefs next week in Baltimore. Kind of like the Packers on the other side, if you're the Texans, again, this was a year that exceeded your expectations. You feel like you absolutely have a head coach in D'Amico Ryans. You absolutely have a quarterback in C.J. Stroud. You absolutely have a top receiver in Nico Collins. I think if you're right now Nick Casario, GM of the Texans, I think a big thing you focus on is getting better in the interior, both offensive line and defensive line, getting that run game established to, again, create more of a balance on offense. You don't want to be like the Bills. And again, I hope you see a theme, by the way, as we're talking about these games here, a lot of the teams moving on, Ravens, 49ers, Chiefs, they won not just on the play of their quarterback. 49ers ran the ball well with Christian McCaffrey. Ravens ran the ball really damn well, and their defense was elite. Chiefs ran the ball well, and their defense was clutch when they needed them uh, needed them to be. Quarterbacks played well when they had to, but it was more than just the quarterback as to why right now they are playing in the uh, AFC and NFC championship games, respectively. Obviously, Buffalo is home in large part because it's Josh Allen and nobody else. And if you're the Texans right now, you got to make sure that's not you. It can't be C.J. Stroud and nobody else. Part of that is, I think, addressing the interior, getting stronger inside to not allow the, the a team like the Ravens to run down your throat again in the playoffs. And it's also for you to be able to run the ball better. Get less hits on C.J. Stroud, who does like to hold on to the ball a little bit longer and take more deep, deep shots down the field. Well, getting an interior line to block well will go very far to that. So the future is bright. I think the outline for how you can improve is also there as well. But just a tremendous season from Houston. And obviously the Ravens, their great season continues uh, to at least next week to host their first ever AFC title game, which is a, a note that I did not realize until that was said. Definitely would have assumed for how great the Ravens have been going to the Super Bowl in 2000, going to the Super Bowl in 2012. You would have assumed they would have hosted um, an AFC title game. Not the case. That, though, will change next Sunday. Let's wrap up with what has been easily the feel-good team of this season, the Detroit Lions. 
right? Coming into the year, a lot of people have picked to make uh picked them to make the playoffs. You're included. So it's not a surprise that they made the playoffs and played well this year. But boy, oh boy, now this this fairy tale season continues to where they are one game from the Super Bowl. They beat the Bucks 31-23. It's weird to start here because they've been very bad. This is where I want to start. I want to give the defense credit. The Detroit defense, I think, uh, I think deserves credit. A lot like Brock Purdy uh, and his performance on Saturday against the Packers, the Detroit defense now, two playoff games in a row, has gotten toasted in the past game. Burnt toast, you name it. They have just been absolutely burnt to a crisp by Matthew Stafford and now by Baker Mayfield two games in a row. But two games in a row, they have come up with a clutch stop or stops to win them the game. Last week, Matthew Stafford, Puka Nakua, and co. had a field day in between the 20s. But the Lions defense deserves a lot of credit because in the red zone, when it comes to scoring touchdowns, the Rams are 0 for 3. That game was won right there in a one-point victory. Was won because three trips into the red zone resulted in zero touchdowns for LA. In this game, Baker having the ball, chance to tie the game and go to overtime, you get Derek Barnes with the interception and game over. Defense comes up with the stop when you when they needed it the most. Tremendous, tremendous for, for Detroit. Again, a defense that's gotten toasted. I think it's easily it's easy to mentally go into the can, doubt yourself, and say it's not our day, we're screwed. They didn't do that. And now two games in a row made the decisive play in order to keep the Lions' season alive. Not pretty. I don't think that they're going to be able to go to San Francisco and play the way they have against the Rams and the Buccaneers and win the game. But when they needed them most, they have made now plays two weeks in a row. That's first and foremost. Another thing I want to bring up here that does bother me um, from like a, a narrative perspective that I think was proven false in this game specifically, but all season long as well, is the notion that you can't draft a running back in the first round. That it's stupid, that it's a waste of a resource to draft a running back, which is now a devalued position, draft to them high in the first round. It doesn't make any sense because what really should be talked about was giving running backs second contracts. But when you have a tremendous impact player that you can draft with pick number 12, like the Lions did with Jameer Gibbs, I don't care what position they play. If they contribute and they are an impact player, Drafting them in the first round is smart. The Falcons don't regret drafting Bijan Robinson. The only thing they regret is that Arthur Smith, for whatever reason, hated him. Didn't want to get him on the field. Didn't want to use him. That Falcons job, to me, is the most attractive in the league, in part because of Bijan Robinson and what you can do in the, both the run and the pass game to open up mismatches and get a lot of points on the board through Bijan. And so when the Lions made their drafting trade and moved around in order and basically landed at Jameer Gibbs, I applauded the move. It was criticized by most. I applauded the move because Jameer Gibbs is an impact player. And we see, to date, the biggest Lions home playoff game of their franchise history. Who was the biggest impact player in the game? It was Jameer Gibbs. It was the guy that a lot of people criticized the Lions for taking so high up in the draft. Totaled 114 yards today, 
8.2 yards per carry, had the go-ahead touchdown on a really nice 31-yard rush, was a threat in the pass game, threat in the run game. He was tremendous. He forced what is a really good run-stuffing Tampa Bay defense to now, leave him guessing, playing on their heels, and his playing, I think, had forced Tampa Bay now to use extra resources that open up the passing game. So I hope this is a lesson for those that say, oh, you can't draft a running back in the first round. Whoa, whoa, what an awful mistake. It depends what team you are, number one. But impact players that are walking mismatches, I don't care what position they play. You take those players because smart, good coaches figure out how to use them and figure out how to make the most uh, their value the most. And I would definitely say Ben Johnson this year has done an A-plus job at getting Jameer Gibbs involved in the game plan and making sure a lot of the times the ball's in his hand, it's in an advantageous spot where he can make the defense look silly. And he's done that more times than not. So I think, again, this is the time to bring up that draft pick and say, it's foolish to look at that pick and say, oh, bad pick. Can't take a running back in the first round. Impact players deserve to be taken high. I think position at that point is irrelevant. Credit to Jameer Gibbs. Credit to this front office of Detroit. I mean, they have they have really done a, an A-plus job. Because also you look at this roster, with the Lions being one of the four remaining teams left, I mean, you look at Jared Goff, who's played really well and continues to get even better. Developmentally, with what with what they've done with him in Detroit over the last few years has been tremendous. They built a really, really strong offensive line to where now they can run the ball when they have to run the ball and run it effectively. Again, they ran the ball well down Tampa Bay's throats and Tampa's a really good run stuffing defense. So you create balance. You have, you know, Sam Laporta, Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, Amon Ross St. Brown. Like you have a lot of players, a lot of talent, a lot of weapons. Defensively, well, the back, again, the, the back secondary needs help. But you have Aiden Hutchinson, whose presence was felt tremendously in this game. The Lions have done an A-plus job of drafting. And their team, overall, is built really damn well. Really damn well. They deserve a lot of credit for that. And Jared Goff, again, continues to play really, really well. One of the biggest concerns I had coming into the postseason was turnovers. Like Goff is a, a player that when the game gets big, he tends to clam up. I think that's part of the reason why Sean McVay decided to move off of him a few years ago was because he needed a quarterback in the big moments that wasn't afraid, wasn't afraid to make a big play, wasn't afraid to let it loose. And I think Goff was playing more not to lose versus playing to win. And now I think this year, you see Dan Campbell's aggressive nature, I think is really rubbing off in a positive way on Goff because Goff is playing loose. He's playing free. He's playing confidently. Even though this was not nearly uh, as sharp of a game compared to how he played last week against the Rams, he's still making some big-time throws, not putting the ball in harm's way, and continuing to continuing to run this offense where it's basically he's a point guard. How can I get the ball out to different playmakers and have them make big time plays? He has been awesome. Reading defenses really well, making the right decisions. 
throwing some beautiful passes into some tight windows. He is awesome. I'm so happy for Jared Goff. I'm so happy for the Detroit Lions fan base. You deserve it. I mean, what a what a season. What what a season. It's going to be tough next week. But two playoff games this year, two playoff wins. That that crowd, that energy was awesome, very college-like. So happy for Detroit. 49ers Lions is going to be fun. On the flip side, I mean, Baker Mayfield, man. What a year. What a year from Baker Mayfield. I am so happy for Baker. I have been a Baker believer for a while. Um, really since 2020 when he showed you not only getting the Browns to the playoffs, but winning a playoff game and playing well in the postseason. 2021, I think, again, we, we kind of talked about this last week. The shoulder injury in 2021, I think, was more the reason why he played poorly versus him just being a bad quarterback. Browns didn't think so. At the time, again, but at the time, Deshaun Watson was a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. Even though I thought Baker got the raw end of the deal, I thought that, again, his injury led to his poor play more than him just being a bad quarterback. I couldn't sit here and tell you that Baker was better than Deshaun Watson at the time the trade was made. Then you saw last year what happened where he gets to Carolina late. It's also Carolina. He gets traded to and has a cup of coffee with, with Sean McVay in LA. Like, he never got any sort of stability. And now you see this guy with stability continue to ball out and continue, by the way, in the playoffs to play at a high level. Guys played four playoff games. He's been dynamite in all four. He's been really, really good in all four. He is someone that raises his play to the moment. Big game, Baker plays well. 349 yards, three touchdowns. The pick at the end was unfortunate. It was a really nice play uh, by Barnes. It was a, a throw he definitely wishes he had back. Definitely should not have made. I think the pressure also getting uh, in his face, I think kind of rushed that throw and forced a bad decision. But that's a guy That's a guy who has officially resurrected his career and his free agent market, man, is going to be a frenzy. I think it's assumed he's going to be back in Tampa. But there are a lot of places, man, that can make Baker some intriguing and enticing offers. They might be better off in. You know, Atlanta is definitely a team that needs a quarterback. And look at Baker. I think he fits right in there. Absolutely fits right in there. We'll see what happens with Kirk Cousins and his future. Minnesota's another plug-and-play spot, I think, for Baker where he could go in and thrive. There's Baker is is bolstered his market big time. He is going to get paid by Tampa or by someone else this offseason, and he is deserving of it. Sad ending. I'm sure he's very frustrated, especially, again, throwing a pick with the game on the line. But this is a tremendous redemption season for Baker Mayfield, and now he's going to go into 2024 as a top half of the league quarterback with a contract that's going to show it. That's absolutely going to show it. So this is, I mean, we have a tremendous uh, final four uh, matchups here. Ravens, Chiefs, which I cannot wait for. 49ers, Lions. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. So appreciate you watching and listening right here. It's been Ryan Hickey giving you my thoughts on all four divisional round games. Again, as a reminder, make sure you check out the podcast. Subscribe. Hick at night. Night spelled N-I-T-E. 
Check out the YouTube channel, Ryan Hickey, and send me your thoughts. You know, I just spent however much time giving you my thoughts. I want to hear yours. Comment on the video on YouTube. Tweet me at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. I'd love to hear your thoughts on your biggest takeaways from these games. If you disagree with something I said, tell me why. Tell me why. Love to have, you know, love to hear the feedback. Love to hear your thoughts from what you saw over the weekend. Have a great rest of your week. We will be back getting you set for both the AFC and NFC title games later this week. So again, now's the time. Subscribe on YouTube, Brian Hickey. Subscribe and download the podcast, Hick at Night. Night spelled N-I-T-E. That way you can get caught all up to date and get you set for the AFC and NFC championship games coming your way on Sunday.